Hi guys, I'm sitting here in my living room. Today is the uh, same day that I recorded my first episode of my podcast series. And the podcast is called The Authentic World. And my first guest was Kara Crossway Brindle. And she's a counselor and also an author in Denver, Colorado. Um, our conversation was super interesting. I hope you enjoy it just as much as I did. And make sure to check out the links of her website and also her book. I'm really excited to talk to you uh, today, and I'm really looking forward to hearing about your book. And Thank you, Michelle. Yeah, you're welcome. So do you want to get right into it? Sure, let's do it. Okay, sounds good. Um, all right, so one of the things that I hope that comes out of this podcast really is to give people strategies and ways of learning to have balance between their work and their life. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. You're going to be our first episode. Um, and wow, I'm honored. Yeah. <laughs> um, and my first question for you is, um, can you share your story a little bit with us? Um, tell me about the challenges that you faced in your work and maybe a little bit about your journey from workaholic to having more balance in your life. Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best. So uh, I'm a mental health therapist here in Denver, Colorado, USA. And something we're noticing now that we're in this pandemic is that a lot of us are burning out even faster than before. <laughs> and so part of that is holding space for all these people who are understandably stressed and worried. And some people have lost their jobs. Other people have lost family members. And so for me, my journey starts as a young child holding space for friends. So a lot of therapists are just naturally kind of listeners and um, their friends start to disclose certain things to them. And so then I went off and learned that I loved psychology, went and got my master's degree here in Colorado and have been here for the last 10 years. So um, in that journey, most of us who get a master's degree have to start somewhere. And so most of us start in community mental health, which are these big agencies trying to serve tons of people. And not surprisingly, a lot of us get into burnout just in that one experience of like, we're working every day, we're working 12, 14 hour days. And so I found myself four years in, in burnout already in my career. So um, hopefully I'll be a success story for your listeners. Like I've already lived it. I've already pulled myself out of that hole. But uh, having already experienced burnout in my first 10 years in the, in the field is pretty intense. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think I disclosed to you that I was also, uh, I worked in community as a social worker. So I you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yes. The risk of burnout. <laughs> because you just want to help right you just want to mm -hmm. keep giving and there's always people to, to give to and help to help yeah exactly so can you talk a little bit about um maybe going into how you kind of learn to transition from that into more of a space of balance yeah i think you know there's a certain type of person that i self-identify with which is that workaholic person so we have this stubbornness around oh i can do it all i should be able to do it all so a lot of shoulds in there and so it took quite a while for me to even recognize i was in burnout which is kind of embarrassing as a mental health professional to say like hey i did not even put two and two together and so it took you know my spouse telling me hey i hardly see you i see you one hour a day and I was sitting there next to him at like nine o'clock at night eating my dinner when he said this to me. And I was like, oh no, like that for whatever reason was the final straw to be like, I'm not okay. And this is not working. 
So with his love and support and some coaches, I was able to learn the skills to pull myself out of that hole because I'd had all these physical symptoms, medical concerns that I didn't really put together as burnout. And so it took a little bit of work and about two years of adjustment before I was able to say, I feel so much better. <laughs> and I'm no longer in community mental health either. That was helpful to get out of that system. Yeah. So you made the switch to something that was more allowed you to have that space. Yes, ideally. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I know that you work with people who've experienced trauma, or at least you have in the past, and also you've done a lot of work about suicide intervention. So I'm wondering what, you, um, what you've been able to do in order to keep that balance, like to set your limits and protect yourself really from, from another burnout. Yeah, and I, I think that's the worry right now, right, with COVID is like we're all feeling this again. And so even yesterday, as I was preparing for our conversation today, I was recognizing some of the signs of so like, oh, no, not again. I don't want this again. Um, and so with suicide prevention, like that's definitely heavy, right? So I've been doing that work for five years now, doing presentations, teaching social workers and therapists how to have this conversation. And I recognize that having work-life separation is huge, which is more of a challenge right now with COVID and a lot of us are working from home, but to say, okay, I'm off the clock or I'm doing something fun or I'm with my friends. And so having this ability to have hobbies or have an escape and just like decompress is really important. And I think the other side of the coin is having people around you that get it, you know, like people in that industry. So I can call up a colleague who does suicide work and say, this is really hitting hard today. Can I talk to you about it? And I can feel that support from them because they're doing something similar. Right. Yeah. It's really a uh, support network. Really, really important. Yeah. Cause um, like, can you make this human for me? Like, am I just, you know, being too hard on myself that I can't handle this? And I'm like, no, this is heavy work every day for a minute there. I mean, suicide prevention and awareness month is September every year. And so September is always just wild for me. Um, and I remember last September, I looked at my colleague at the end and said, we're both like burnt out just from this one month. Cause we had, I think eight or nine commitments that month to make sure that we were doing the work. And we were both just like, whew, time for a vacation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So taking the time you need, you know, like to, to just decompress and, and be away from that too sometimes. Right. And just to have hobbies that have nothing to do with our work. I think that's the challenge is like we kind of stick with what we know. And so mental health clinicians are friends with other mental health clinicians. And it's like, no, who can I talk to that has nothing to do with my work so I can really have that separation? Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. Some of my friends are, are social workers and we, we still have those conversations. <laughs> yeah, it's hard not to, right? You kind of slip naturally back into it and you're like, oh, catch myself. <laughs> um, so you wrote a book called Perfectioner and I'm wondering if you could tell me what was the idea behind, well, the title, first of all, and then the book, um, and then maybe talk a little bit about, you know, what the, the, the strategies that you're trying to share with people through that book. Absolutely. Yeah. So I've been about two years now out of burnout. So this book is the brainchild of that process and just saying what worked for me? Can this work for other people? So back in January before COVID started, um, at least here in the US anyway, <laughs> I had woken up at 4am one day, like it was about a week before my birthday. And I had this epiphany because I've been trying to figure out how to describe myself in the business arena because I don't see myself just as a mental health therapist. I also see myself as an entrepreneur. And so people have been asking me to kind of define that. So I woke up at 4 a.m. and said, this is the word, perfectioner, perfectionist, entrepreneur. 
And so I started doing some research of like, is this word already out there? Obviously it's the French spelling for perfection, um, but it wasn't really out there in any other context. And so I took it to a bunch of other entrepreneurs and said, does this make sense? If I say, these are the characteristics of this person, does that make sense to you? Right. And lo and behold, in that 4 a.m. epiphany, I had an outline for the book within an hour. <laughs> so it was just very creative space at 4 a.m. for whatever reason. And by uh, February, I was starting to write every week, trying to make sure I was capturing some of my ideas and working with that outline. And the book was published in June. And the most fun part of all this is once it was out there, people started coming to me saying, oh my gosh, I needed this book 10 years ago. Or this is me. You're calling me out. Like, this is wild. And so it's been really fun to connect with a new community that way. That's great. And when I saw the title, I knew I was a perfectioner. <laughs> <laughs> great. Just from the title. That's good to hear. <laughs> I got so much out of it. <laughs> um, I'm just wondering, like, um, if you could, because you mentioned COVID, and I think that it's, you know, that's what's happening right now is that everything's been turned upside down. Can you talk a little bit about how we can use some strategies um, during this time and like a little bit of insight about what you think about um, this time in our lives? Yeah, yeah. I definitely have found myself trying to write it out and capture it because I think this is showing up every week with my clients. So I still see about 14 people a week and then work on my other businesses. And so many of them, it was kind of this natural transition of like, at first it was the fear, understandably, February, March. And then it was the, we're going to follow all the rules and we're going to hope that this gets better. And then we saw like this grief and loss reaction in the summer when all of a sudden we weren't doing those summer activities that we would normally do or had to make sacrifices of we're not traveling, things like that. And so then we got here into the fall and all of my clients are like, I'm over this now. Like, I'm tired of it. I want it to be gone. I want to go back to quote unquote normal, whatever that means. And so one of the things I actually ask my clients to consider that I think brought them a little less anxiety is to consider this a gap year. And so that's the language that we've been using is like, what if this is a gap year, not like the traditional you travel between, you know, high school and college or college and grad school, but like, what if this is your gap year to do some self-discovery? to really work on yourself because a lot of other things have slowed down. And I noticed that my clients with high anxiety, this did bring it down a notch for them that they could breathe and say, okay, I'm not supposed to do anything critical right now. I'm supposed to take care of myself. I'm supposed to survive this and I'm going to do my best. And so that's one strategy that just even reframing the language of like pandemic to this is a gap year permission to just slow down. A lot of people found comfort in that. And I think myself included. <laughs> And do you find that you've had more, um, like, has your business expanded since COVID started? Like, has there been any change? Well, yeah. I mean, I think the funny thing is I, I had done a couple other podcasts, um, guest recordings back at the beginning of the year, and they'd ask, like, do you do telehealth or do you do video call uh, therapy? And I was like, no, that's not our thing. And then, of course, the podcast released after COVID when all of us were had to shift um, to telehealth or teletherapy. So it's been really funny. I've been grateful to still be able to work with my clients through video like this. Um, but otherwise, you know, I would have said to you back in February, absolutely not. I love the face-to-face. -face. And so the business has maintained, if nothing else, and now we're seeing kind of a, a burst of requests for support. Because I think, again, people seven months in are like, I'm tired of this. I'm re it's really wearing me down. Um, one of the concepts I saw yesterday, Michelle, was called pandemic fatigue. Yeah. I was like, oh, that makes sense. Like that whole concept. 
And so I'm trying to reflect that back to my clients as well, saying, does this fit you? Is this how you're feeling? Because this isn't going anywhere right away. And so people are just trying to find their own ways to cope. Just to go back a little bit, because we talked about how people become burnt out. Um, and then going from that state to being able to have balance in your life, do you feel like there's somewhat of a mindset shift that needs to happen? Or? Oh, yes, absolutely. I think even just understanding why we're called to work so hard. So you'd mentioned earlier, Michelle, like we want to help as many people as possible. And that's true for a lot of industries, not just mental health or um, I just call them professional helpers. So they can be nurses, doctors, therapists, social workers, and just knowing where that's coming from. And so in the book, the first thing I do is I, I should probably put like a, a warning sign or a disclaimer in it because I go straight at it, like right in that first chapter. And I say, talk to me about your self-worth. What is that narrative? What's that inner you know, statement that you have of like, this is why I do what I do. And so if people can survive chapter one, the rest is much more you know, strategic and a little lighthearted. But I go straight for your throat in that first chapter saying, tell me if you know <laughs> why you do this. And for so many of us, it's a negative core belief, right? So for me personally, my core belief is I'm only as good as what I do for others or my value is wrapped up in what I do for others. So if I'm not doing something, creating something, providing something, my self-worth decreases in my mind. And so that made me a workaholic, right? Of like, I have to keep doing these things to feel fulfilled, to feel worthwhile. And so if people can recognize that and work on that, that can change everything. That's that shift you're mentioning. Mm -hmm. Would you say, I mean, what comes to mind is uh, knowing your value too, you know, like knowing that you also have a right to take care of yourself and not just have to take care of other people. Would you say that maybe comes into play? Oh yes, exactly. I think the running joke is therapists are their own worst clients because right. we can teach people this, but do we do it ourselves? Uh, it's hit or miss. <laughs> um, and so I remember distinctly telling clients again and again, you can't take up others, take care of others if you can't take care of yourself. If you get sick, how can you help anyone else? And yet for so many helping professionals, we like creatively ignore that or conveniently ignore that and just keep pushing. And then all of a sudden we're in a mental health crisis or a medical crisis, and then we can't ignore it anymore. Right. So it does take effort and choice every day to be like, hmm, boundaries, balance, how can I make this better? Can you talk a little bit more about um, the, the best ways that you found to, in order to set boundaries? Yeah, I mean, I think one of my favorite interventions in a therapeutic space is called a boundary quiz. And so I have them answer a series of 20 questions about, um, you know, what their boundaries look like with loved ones versus strangers. Because for most of us, we're kind of on a spectrum, right? So like with strangers, we might have an easier time saying, you know what, their opinion doesn't matter as much to me as like my family. Or maybe it's the opposite, where strangers have a lot of power over us and our family has little influence over us. And so I have them take this quiz to start a conversation about where are your boundaries? Do they show up at all? Are they really firm to the point that you're not letting anyone in? Or are they really loose where everyone knows your deep, dark secrets because you're oversharing? <laughs> um, so that becomes a really concrete way to start that conversation. And then it really looks at like, again, is this my self-worth? How do I set boundaries and feel good about them? Because originally, setting boundaries can feel really distressing, right? It's a change if someone's having a hard time with boundaries to say, I want you to say no. They're like, well, what does no mean? What if I burn a bridge? What if I create a conflict? So boundaries is a huge part of what I do every day. It's definitely not a one and done conversation. It's a, it's a process. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm thinking back to when you were talking about how you experienced burnout and I, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but I'm just wondering, like, was there sort of this uh, moment that happened to you where you were like, okay, I can't possibly, you talked about how your husband said that you weren't spending time with, um, with him anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about how, you know, that had an impact, but also were there other moments maybe where you were, you were hearing the signs of, oh, I need to slow down here. Oh yeah. It definitely was over a series of years. I was hearing from family and friends. And I think this is the challenge of people who are workaholics, because even as I was suffering on the inside, on the outside, I looked super productive, right? Like I was creating things. I was helping my clients. I was successful in my work, but all the other stuff was failing. I wasn't taking time off. My family said, Hey, we feel like you're avoiding us. We never see you. So I wouldn't go home on holidays to see them. Um, I would make commitments and then I'd have a client in crisis or need something and I would cancel my self-care to help them. And so I found myself working, you know, six days a week, seven days a week. Um, Mine were more physical also, so like physical changes. Um, So I had my hair start falling out. I had a lot of eczema outbreaks. So like those stress skin reactions. And um, eventually I was diagnosed with an autoimmune condition. And so I think for a lot of us that are helpers, we tend to hold on to other people's trauma or stress and at a cellular level, now we have inflammation, right? So that's kind of another book I'm considering writing is like, what's the connection between holding stuff for other people and autoimmune conditions? Because there's been an uptick in those diagnoses of like lupus, diabetes, Hashimoto's disease, Um, and so it's just something that once I got to that point, I had been ignoring all these little things that then added up to something bigger. And for my spouse, who's my glue, he was my last straw. He looked at me and he's like, so easygoing that for him to even say that to me, it had been festering for quite a while. Can you go into a little bit more like for your, your own, um, maybe into the practical, uh, self-care that you do on a daily basis? Yeah. So the first thing I had to do, which might sound so rudimentary to some of your listeners, but I had to actually schedule time off, right? Like I had to use an old school planner and start crossing off different parts of the schedule. Otherwise I saw it as available and I would put something into it, whether it was a client or an email or a phone call. So I had to literally cross out saying, I'm not available at these times. So at first I started with the lunch hour, which surprise, I wasn't eating lunch on a normal schedule. Um, And then it was, okay, what's my ideal schedule? What am I trying to work towards? So all of a sudden I wasn't working with clients Mondays and Fridays. I was doing other things those days. And so, you know, it's kind of funny. I think planners have gotten more popular because of this. Like people really see value in like having a structure. So that's definitely a piece of my puzzle. The other big one is movement. And so recognizing that we're all sitting at our computers more, we need to get up and stretch. I try and walk every day because it helps my mood. It helps me feel physically fit. um, And it just helps me feel more focused, which is really important now with the brain fog of COVID. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I think, you know, self-care practice on a daily basis is so important, you know, like, but to have it in a way that fits you right? Would exactly. you say that uh, the clients that you've worked with all kind of have their own sort of blend of what works for them or? Oh yeah. I think even with COVID, we've had to change this up a little bit. So I don't know if this was true, Michelle, when you were doing your work as in social work, but like I would ask clients, tell me what self-care means to you. And they would say things like vacations, manis and petties. They would say massages. It's like, yeah, those are all great. But I also work with clients who are right there on the cusp of poverty. 
And so to ask them to even think about those things might not be realistic. Fast forward to COVID and now some of these things aren't even on the table because we can't travel or we can't justify spending money or maybe it just doesn't feel safe to do those things right now. And so what I've asked clients to do and and part of the book is I said, let's redefine self-care. Let's look at it a little bit differently. And I would ask them to think of it from the lens of rest versus restoration. And so I'd say, what do you do that's restful? And some of our millennial people will say, I Netflix a show, I binge watch a show, I hang out in my sweats all weekend and that's my rest, right? I have no plans. And yet they come into therapy and say, I'm exhausted still. I don't feel any better because they went from like 60 miles an hour workaholic status during the week to doing hardly anything. And their body now feels like it's been hit by a truck or like they had the flu. (laughs) So although there's times for rest, I wanted them to start thinking about this restoration question. What restores you, energizes you, invigorates you? And lo and behold, when I asked it that way, the list of self-care things looked dramatically different than Manny Petty's vacations and massages. Now it was music, dancing, cooking, being in nature, walking outside. I was like, oh, these things feel more doable during COVID to some degree. They don't cost a lot of money and they don't have to take a lot of time. They can be done in little chunks and people can feel a lot better. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of brings me to the idea of, you know, intuition. And I'm, I'm thinking, I don't know, I think you mentioned that, but the, the idea of listening to your, uh, your gut and maybe just like, how, what kind of advice can you give people to, to learn to listen to themselves a little more, you know, I, I internally, but also your, your body. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think a lot of people like to live in their head, right? That's why I chuckled because I think they come in, even when I have them sit here in the office and they're in their head, right? They're very analytical about things, but they're not tuned into like neck below, like they just can't feel their body at all. And so sometimes it's asking them to start with something that feels pleasant, like a sensation of like putting lotion on their hands or, you know, working with essential oils or something that could be calming. Um, But the other thing I ask people to do is to be curious, you know, to kind of look at this like a scientist of like, you have some questions, you have some hypotheses, we don't have any answers yet. So let's just collect the data. And so from that analytical brain, they love that because it's like, we're not doing anything with it. We're just taking in information. So usually I'll give homework of like, I just want you to notice something this week. Notice how often you feel achy. Notice how you feel after taking a walk. And some of that is mindfulness, right? Where we can actually get them to start practicing this bigger concept that people love and saying, I just want you to notice. And it doesn't feel like it's too big of an ask. Mm Um, would you, I don't know, would you suggest also maybe journaling might be, I know that's like a, an outdated term for some people, but like, what would be the role of, you know, maybe writing things down or like, um, yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan. I've been journaling since I was 13 (laughs) and it's not consistent, you know, it's just kind of here and there, but I think there's something so powerful about that brain body connection. And so understandably we have generations now that love technology and so they're typing everything, which is fine. But when you really want to like experience something, I am still a huge supporter of writing by hand. So it could be journaling, it could be a piece of scratch paper. Um, when I give homework, I ask them to think about writing by hand, even if they don't like it, because I want to see what shows up with that connection of like, can you really feel what you're writing versus I'm just typing away and this is my everyday, you know, work experience. Yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about, uh, about either your journey or the, uh, the process of writing the book? Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to share? Well, I know a lot of people are writing books right now, like COVID's helped us slow down enough to really figure out our priorities and, 
you know, for a lot of helpers, I think this is another avenue for them to say, how do I reach more people? And so I think a lot of us who have that entrepreneurial spirit are moving into book writing or workshops or online courses, different things people can do. And I can say that it's been a lot of fun. I enjoy that myself. Um, and so I'm hoping to help support other helping professionals move out of burnout and move into that creative space. Mm -hmm. I think it makes us much more happy, um, or at least it does for me. <laughs> so I'm hoping that people can feel some hope through COVID. I actually have clients who are really showing a lot of resiliency and it hasn't been easy. It's not over yet, but I'm hoping your listeners feel a little spark of hope that, you know, there can be a lot of positives that come out of this distressing time, um, whether it's creative or self-discovery. I'm hoping they feel motivated to just keep trying and keep working on themselves because I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what happens when we're out of this and what has shifted for everyone. Yeah, I, I, feel, I kind of feel like things will never be the same, but uh, I guess time will tell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. I was like, where's my researcher who's going to look at this like 10 years from now and see how people have evolved at a cellular level, at a social level, right? Like all our introverts are like, I'm totally fine to be home. But, you know, do we have more introverts now than ever because of this pandemic, right? Where it's almost like socializing us to uh, hang out at home and be more um, reserved in our social contact right now, just for safety. Right. Absolutely. Are you an introvert? Can I ask? I am. I don't present like one when I do these kinds of things, but I am absolutely an introvert. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I like my downtime. <laughs> There's actually more introverts in the world than extroverts. And I think that's reassuring for listeners too, of like, there are way more of us because I mean, even the leaders now are introverts. They used to all be extroverts, but there's more of us than them. So now we're in leadership roles too. Absolutely. Um, can you just like uh, expand a little bit on, you're talking about how creativity is so important, um, you know, probably to the healing process, but also it's been important to your own process. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the shift uh, of going from being a workaholic to having a balance. Can you talk about the role of creativity? Yeah, so one of, the, uh, one of the tools in the book that I have people think about first in like the first six chapters is this idea of like how many things are on our to-do list. So the concept is go lean on your lists because people who have this entrepreneurial spirit, they have lots of ideas, right? They're creative, they're innovative, they have 4 a.m. epiphanies all the time. And I was noticing for myself and my clients when they had more than seven things that they wanted to focus on, it got lost in the shuffle, right? There was just too much going on. And now with the combined brain fog of COVID, which is totally something we're tracking of like, oh, I forgot I had an appointment or I, my brain is just absent. Um, I think this becomes even more critical of like, let's go lean. Let's do a little less on the list. And that gives you some space for creativity. Now you're not so bogged down that you can actually have time to have a creative thought or write a blog or start a podcast or, you know, write a book. And so for me, I had to do this as part of my recovery from burnout. She looked at me and my coach and she said, okay, list all the things for the next, next six months that you want to accomplish. Well, my type A workaholic personality had like two dozen things, right? Like bam, done. And then she said, okay, what are your top 10 priorities? And so I had to circle up all the 10. Then she looks at me and she's like, you're not going to like this. But if these are truly your top 10 priorities, I want you to ignore the rest. You cannot look at any of the others. Mm -hmm. And for someone who's a workaholic, that created a lot of anxiety and a little bit of uh, frustration. Like, I can do more. I can do more than 10 things in six months. How dare you? <laughs> and so, but when I did it, 
it actually helped me focus because now I was saying no to extra distractions. I was saying no to future projects. I was saying not right now. I'll look at this again later, but for now, these are my top 10 priorities. And if the things coming on my radar aren't aligned with that, I need to say no. And so all of a sudden I found myself more productive and more creative than I've ever been in my adult life because I wasn't bogged down by 20 million ideas. I had focus. I had kind of this, these blinders on saying, this is where I need to be. This is what I need to focus on. Right. Well, um, I noticed that you have a workbook. Uh, do you want to talk about how that goes with the book and, and uh, you know, what that offers our audience? <laughs> Yeah, so similar to you and I have seen the value of writing by hand, the workbook is meant to be that exercise. So the original book has those 20 concepts and kind of my story, my journey of going from workaholic to well-balanced and hopefully normalizing that for people, especially as a therapist. It's like, hey, none of us are immune to burnout. And then the workbook came in because people are like, okay, this is cool, but like, help me practice the skills. Like you've introduced the skills, how do I actually utilize them? So the workbook came into play and it was really fun to create some exercises that I've been using in therapy with my clients this whole time and putting those into something that was concrete. So the workbook came out and then we did a Spanish version of the book. And then hopefully by the end of this month, there'll be an audio version. So an audible version of the book for those that want to listen to it in their car or while they're working out or <laughs> whatever they're doing. So it's been exciting. People really see the value of both having the book for like the heart of it and then the workbook to really practice the skills. That sounds amazing. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about uh, in terms of what you have going on right now or? Well, yeah, I think I appreciate that, Michelle. Um, creativity is definitely still flowing. I think all of us have some goals before the end of the year, depending on where we're at with our mental health, of course. Um, so for me, now that the books are out there, I did a master class that really walked people through those skills of the workbook. So if they wanted someone kind of supporting them along the way, um, I did that. And next big thing is a subscription. So a monthly subscription where these driven entrepreneurs can come in, grab a video, grab a worksheet or like a tool. Um, and that's been really fun. I've interviewed a bunch of entrepreneurs from TEDx coaches to branding and SEO and just different things that show up when we're building a business. And so I'm excited to put that together and hopefully launch that at the end of this year or early January um, to say, hey, all of you who have these questions about how you build a business, here's another resource for you, especially if you're feeling driven. And so it's going to have burnout, workaholic to well-balanced concepts, and then some really cool tools. So it should be fun. It sounds amazing and sounds like it's up my alley. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope you'll check it out. Like I said, I've been, I've just been filming everyone so far and it's just been fun for me to pick their brain, have them do three concrete tips and then put that into our subscription online. So it'll be a, a monthly subscription through one of those online platforms, hopefully pretty easy to use. That sounds great. Um, all of it sounds great. I want to say thank you very much for taking time to uh, talk with me today. <laughs> no, it's all good. I appreciate being here and I love what you're trying to do. I think the audience that you're trying to address when it comes to just the challenges of work and balance is, is huge. You know, this idea of burnout in all industries. So I'm hopeful that this was helpful and that people can reach out if they have questions or if they need anything from me. That sounds great. I'm going I'm to make sure to put your links uh, on the description of the podcast. And uh, yeah, if, if anyone wants to check out what you've been up to, they can go to your website and uh, everything else that you've shared with me. So thank you Perfect. very much. Thank you, Michelle.